All right, welcome everybody. Very good to see you all. Uh, it's a beautiful day, and a uh, week after Easter sometimes is not the most well-attended church service, so I'm glad uh, for those of you who are here and uh, very thankful for you all. So uh, today we begin a new study, and I love to start new books of the Bible. It's always fun to uh, just get excited about something new that we're going to be learning, and so we're going to be starting our uh, introduction to, to Galatians today, and uh, this is going to be, this message is going to be called, There's Only One Gospel from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Uh, so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will begin. Uh, Lord, I just thank you uh, for a, a new book of the Bible for us to study, Lord, and uh, this one I think is particularly appropriate for the day and age that we are living in, Lord, and so I just pray that you would uh, help us with the Holy Spirit uh, coming now and illuminating the gospel for us uh, that we might understand it and know it better. And Lord, we uh, are mindful of people in our body, Lord, uh, who are uh, recovering from illness, uh, particularly Sandra Stimson, who's just having a bit of a hard time. And um, Lord, this week uh, we're also uh, going to uh, say uh, farewell and see you soon to uh, Helen, who's going to go be visiting with her other daughter for a while. And uh, so we just pray safe travels for all of that. And uh, uh, Lord, we just thank you for this church that has loved her so well for the time she's been here. Uh, Lord, as we come to, the, to your message today, Lord, just uh, give us spiritual insight and wisdom so that we might apply these things to our life. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So teaching children to avoid danger is one of the parts of parenting, parenting right? It's a pivotal part of parenting. Like uh, when parents, if we, if we see our young kids reach for the stove, we react real strongly to something like that, right? Uh, or if we see them going under the sink trying to drink the blue liquid, right? We, we, we want to stop them from doing that. Uh, we'll even scream at them. We'll slap their hands uh, just to, to stress the, the dangerous situation of uh, getting too close to fire or too close to Windex or too close to Drano or whatever it happens to be. Uh, it's an emergency, right? We don't have time to, to gently uh, correct or to calmly uh, correct. Uh, later we'll have a chance to, to, to calmly teach and explain the slower and in a calmer voice, you know, the dangers of, of Drano and fire and stuff like that. But, but in, the, in the immediate moment, our goal is to protect our kids like in, by any means possible. We have to stop them uh, from the danger that they're in because it could literally mean the difference between life and death in some situations. Well, uh, we're beginning this study of Galatians today, and Paul began uh, writing uh, this book to Galatians, and, and, and he had an emergency on his hands with these Galatian believers uh, and in these Galatian churches. So Paul usually started his letters with, you know, these warm greetings and thanksgivings to God, and, you know, that could extend for, you know, 10 or more verses in, in some cases. Uh, but in, in this letter, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. In fact, uh, Paul started Galatians with just the briefest of greetings uh, and then launches into this rebuke of the Galatians uh, who were there uh, and we might ask, like, why, Paul? Why are you being so harsh with them? Do you, do you hate these people? Uh, you know, what is, what is with you? Why, do you? why are you speaking so strongly to them? Well, the reason why is because he heard that they were abandoning the gospel. And abandoning the gospel uh, is a real danger. Uh, they were in danger of falling under the spell of these false teachers who had come in, and they were starting to teach uh, that you needed to keep the law and to keep circumcision and, and keep the rules and rituals of Judaism or else you were not saved. And so Paul was so harsh with them because uh, he was worried about them perverting the gospel and so afraid that they were going to fall under the spell of these false teachers. 
and, and, you know, burning your hand on the stove is one thing, uh, but falling under the spell of false teachers is a complete other thing, right? One is of temporary injury where the other uh, could include uh, the difference between eternal life in heaven or hell. So we're studying Galatians because I think it's just as important to us today as it was 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote it. Uh, he's trying to, to convince them not to return to the rules and the rituals of Judaism and circumcision and keeping the law because in Christ they were free from all of that yoke. They weren't to be burdened by any of that anymore. Uh, the gospel is simply faith in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And these false teachers were adding things to that. They were adding law to liberty. And liberty sets us free from the law, but the law limits our liberty. And so Paul is trying to explain to them, you don't need the law. You have liberty. You have freedom in Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes this letter to, to advocate for liberty and to take a stand against liberalism. And liberalism is, is simply the belief that we can somehow make ourselves acceptable to God by things that we do, right? Works of the law or, or good deeds as we might define them. Uh, Paul was saying, no, it's not in any of that. It's in the gospel. It's in faith that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And in Paul's day, the legalism included just this, the, following the Jewish rituals, uh, keeping circumcision, keeping the law. Uh, and so, these things threatened the truth and the simple, the simplicity of the gospel. Uh, we have a tendency to want to heap things onto the gospel as though the gospel is too easy just, just to believe. All you have to do is believe and you're saved. Uh, and that's, that, that was a problem back then. Uh, we have legalism in, today, right? I mean, we're no stranger to legalism. Today, uh, legalism doesn't take the shape of keeping Jewish rules and, and, and rituals, uh, but we might insist on baptism for salvation, right? We, we've seen that in some churches. Uh, even things like demanding that people might dress in a certain way or that they abstain from alcohol or that they don't watch R-rated movies, right? And these are what we might call gray areas, you know, areas where it's okay to disagree. Uh, these things are not the gospel. And so it's okay to disagree on those things. Uh, but when we add rules and rituals to the gospel, well, we've actually subtracted from it. Uh, and so the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, actually loses its power. It doesn't gain power when we add things to it. It loses its power if we add anything to it. So uh, if we know the gospel and the freedom that we have in it, then we are going to be less likely to fall into any of the traps of legalism. And so we need to be careful that we are not adding anything to the gospel or that we're listening to anybody who wants to add something to the gospel and says, you need to do this in order to be saved or in order uh, to live a holy life. You need to do these things. Uh, we just preach the same simple gospel of grace that Paul preached. So today we're just going to introduce the letter, of the letter to the Galatians and, and ask these questions. Who were these Galatians? Who were these false teachers? What were they teaching? Why did Paul write the letter? Uh, what are some of the major themes of the letter? So we'll, we'll cover those in a brief introduction, and then we'll cover verses 1 to 10. We'll see de uh, Paul defend the authority of his message and rebuke these Galatians in the greeting, uh, and then condemn the false teachers who are preaching a false gospel uh, in verses 6 to 10, and then we'll close with a few applications. All right, so uh, just this introduction then. Who are these Galatians? Well, Acts chapter 13 and 14 describe Paul's first missionary journey. 
Uh, he was in the church in Antioch. Antioch was the sending church. Uh, they sent him on his way on this missionary journey. And uh, Acts chapter 13 and 14 tell us that he and Barnabas sailed for Cyprus. That's that big island right in the middle of the slide up there uh, from Antioch. And then crossing the sea north, they landed in Pamphylia up there to the north and then started this journey north and then east uh, through the cities of uh, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And then they retraced their steps all the way back around uh, and came back to Antioch. So these Galatians were mostly Gentiles. There were some Jews there, but mostly they were Gentiles uh, who uh, Paul converted to Christianity and he established churches in those various cities. Uh, but soon after he left those churches, then the false teachers came in behind Paul and started adding to uh, the gospel. So let's talk about who these false teachers were. Uh, we call these false teachers Judaizers. Uh, and the reason we do that is because the word comes from a verb that means to live like a Jew. And so Paul used this word only one time in the book of Galatians, and it's in Galatians 2.14. Remember when Paul had his confrontation with Peter, uh, Paul wrote or said to Peter and then wrote, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So these false teachers were Jews who claimed to be Christians, and they're called Judaizers because they were trying to make these Christians uh, in Galatia live like the Jews by obeying the law and circumcision. Uh, so that's who they were, and it's what they were teaching at the same time. Now, as we're going through Galatians, uh, we have to remember that we only have the letter to the Galatians, right? We don't have what the folks who were saying uh, the false teaching. We don't have that. So it's like listening to one end of a telephone conversation, right? We only know what Paul is saying. We don't know exactly what the other people were saying. Uh, we can only infer it from what Paul wrote. But what, from what Paul wrote to the Galatians, uh, we can certainly tell that these uh, false teachers were insisting that circumcision and keeping the law were necessary for salvation. So what they're teaching is Jesus plus law equals salvation, right? And whenever we add anything to the gospel, we subtract from it. So they were adding to the simple gospel that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead and that through faith in him, we are saved. So these false teachers are mixing law and grace, and that is a deadly mixture. And not only that, they tried to discredit Paul. They were trying to say Paul doesn't have any authority uh, and we have greater authority. And that's why Paul responded so adamantly uh, in this letter. Uh, just like screaming at a toddler who was about to hurt himself, uh, Paul was nearly yelling at these Galatians, telling them to watch out, avoid these false teachers. Uh, so Paul wrote the letter for this very reason. When we ask, why did Paul write the letter? Have you ever gone to the beach? and spent your whole day building a sandcastle uh, with your kids, uh, and then the tide comes in, and the waves wash away your sandcastle, and it's all gone as though nothing were left. Well, that's what these false teachers were trying to do to Paul's teaching. They were trying to erase and undo everything uh, that Paul had taught. And so Paul needed to correct this false teaching. He needed to address these Galatians uh, before they followed a, a false gospel, which is obviously much more than a sandcastle, right? The gospel is life and death. And so Paul uh, took this tone with them uh, for that reason. So he's got several reasons for writing, and throughout uh, this letter, we're going to see several of them. We could outline it just briefly like this. In the first two chapters, uh, Paul was trying to establish his authority 
and then to rebuke the Galatians for their failure to follow the true gospel and, and their drifting into a false gospel. And then he reminded them of the true gospel. And then in the middle chapters, in verses 3 to 4, uh, Paul writes about this, uh, the doctrine of justification by faith, reminding them again what he had taught them when he was with them. And then in the last two chapters, it's mostly application, how the law of, or the doctrine of justification and faith applies to your life and what you ought to do uh, in response. And so the major themes of the letter, uh, as we'll go through, you're going to notice because we preached on Romans just a couple of years ago, uh, there is much in common between Galatians and Romans. Uh, some of the major themes, in fact, almost all of the major themes from Galatians also appear in Romans. So here's a laundry list. Uh, inability of the law to justify, the believer's deadness to the law, the believer's crucifixion with Christ, uh, Abraham's justification by faith, uh, believers are sp Abraham's spiritual children, that the law brings wrath and not salvation, uh, that the just shall live by faith, the universality of sin, uh, believers are spiritually baptized into Christ, uh, the war of the flesh against the spirit, and believers sharing each other's burdens. Uh, also, that the law um, comes to, uh, I'm sorry, I just said that, believers sharing each other's burdens. So we're going to hit each of these as we go. But when we think about, we talk a lot about the similarities, but the differences are, I think that, that when we think about Galatians, uh, it's a different kind of letter in that Romans is more, more systematic, more theological as you go through it. Uh, it's more of a treatise, but, but Galatians is more emotional, more personal, uh, you know, trying to encourage uh, these Galatians not to get caught in the trap of legalism. And, and Paul was bewildered that these Galatians had so quickly uh, abandoned the gospel, and he despaired for them. So, so we might say that Romans is more professorial, whereas Galatians is more pastoral in its approach. So Paul was despairing about how to get these Galatians, who he loved, uh, back to the truth. Now, my purposes in wanting to preach uh, through Galatians are just to help us to understand grace and to help us to understand freedom, uh, liberty, the liberty that we have in Christ, and then to apply uh, the grace and freedom and the liberty that we have to our lives. All right, so that's a brief introduction. Let's go in now. Let's dive into chapter 1, and we'll look at Paul's greeting. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men or through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. So verses 1 and 2, the first thing we want to see is that Paul was very quick to establish his authority, right? He wanted to do that right out of the box. So he wasn't some lightweight that, that these opponents of his could easily dismiss or discredit. So Paul comes out swinging right out of the box, right? Paul, an apostle. Now the term apostle means a sent one. Now, that can mean anyone who sends someone else for a particular errand, but in the New Testament, apostle generally means somebody sent as an emissary of God with God's message and power and authority. 
Uh, and so Paul made sure that, that, that his readers understood how he was using this word. I am sent, but not just by some regular guy, some other guy. I'm sent by God. I'm sent by Jesus Christ. I'm not sent by a man or uh, as, as the agent of some other man. I'm sent by God who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, there is no higher authority than that, right? That's the highest authority one could ever possibly claim. And so this is a challenge right out of the box to, his, to, to the false teachers. You know, what authority do you have? My authority comes right from God. Whatever authority they claimed, Paul's authority was greater. None of them could claim that they were sent by Jesus and by God. And we can also infer from uh, the context of the letter that these false teachers were preaching that Paul was some you know, lone rogue, like a renegade out there teaching a gospel that nobody else was teaching. It's just Paul on his own. Don't listen to that guy. You know, he doesn't believe what any of the rest of us believe. He's this lone wolf out there. Well, Paul wanted to, to make sure that they understood that he's not some rogue. He's not some renegade. Uh, that's why he said, along with all the brethren who are here with me, right? So uh, Paul wrote Galatians from the church in Antioch, as I showed you the map before. Uh, that was the church that sent him through Galatia. And right after he came back from Galatia, after this first missionary journey, that's when the false teachers came in. Now, we should understand that uh, Paul probably wrote Galatians in 49 AD or so, right around that period of time. And by then, uh, the church had more or less migrated from Jerusalem into Antioch as the major, or at least one of the main hubs of Christianity. After the Jews stoned Stephen in Acts chapter 7, uh, Christian persecution increased. It was on the rise, and so uh, many fled to Antioch seeking refuge. Acts chapter 11 tells us that the, uh, that the uh, believers were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, so Antioch was becoming uh, more of the hub of Christianity. And so Paul now is asserting, uh, look, I'm not writing on behalf of myself. I I'm writing on behalf of all the other believers, not just one or two others, but with the accord of the entire church in Antioch. And so the false teachers who came to Galatia, they couldn't claim that kind of authority. They couldn't match Paul's apostleship. They could not match his authority, and they couldn't match the endorsement of the Christian church that Paul had. So that's just verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 and 4, now Paul starts to talk about his message. So in his greeting, uh, Paul used this formula that he used throughout his letters, grace and peace. Uh, grace is God's unmerited favor, uh, the, the favor that we don't deserve that God gives to us as a gift, the source of our salvation. And peace is this wholeness, this fullness of life, uh, that we get as a result, because when we're saved, we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We're new creations. Uh, we become different people uh, in Christ. And so that would yield spiritual results as well. And so Paul prayed for both of these things, for these uh, Galatians, that they would have peace and that they would have grace. And the source of this grace and peace is in Jesus Christ alone. And so in verse 4, he's reminding them of the gospel. Remember that the source of the grace and peace is the same source uh, that, that, uh, that uh, comes from salvation. It's a gift from God, and it's a gift from Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to save us from the penalty of our sins. And if law or circumcision or keeping Jewish rules, rituals, and regulations could save us, then Jesus would not have had to die on the cross to accomplish our salvation. So he talks about this word rescue here in verse 4. Uh, it means to set free, 
Uh, to deliver. Uh, implied in the term is an inability for us to rescue ourselves, right? That's why we need rescuing uh, from this evil age, as Paul calls it. Th this evil age is the era between uh, Christ's ascension into heaven and the second coming. Uh, so now 2,000 years uh, this era has been going on, this evil era. Uh, it's marked by uh, evil, and it's marked by sin, where God has uh, allowed Satan dominion uh, over uh, the, the world for some time. Uh, and Paul emphasized that we can't rescue ourselves from this evil age. If it's going to happen, if we're going to be redeemed, God is the one who's going to have to do it, and he has to do it through Jesus Christ, and he has does it, done it through Jesus Christ. And so in four verses, look at all that Paul has done, right? Establishing now the gospel in verses 3 and 4, the doctrine of grace and the message of the gospel in just the first four verses. And verse 4, uh, 5, I'm sorry, he talks about his motive. Uh, as we will see, these false teachers accused Paul of trying to people-please, trying to flatter other people, to elevate his own status. And Paul makes it clear right in the beginning here in verse 5 that he has only one goal, uh, to God be the glory forevermore. He's not trying to glorify himself. He's trying to glorify the Lord. So in this short abrupt five-verse greeting, Paul says, I have better authority, I have a better message, and I have better motives than any of my adversaries. And now, in verses 6 to 10, Paul moves on to, to condemn the distortion of the gospel. Verses 6 to 10, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ." So first, the false gospel. This is verse 6. Paul was amazed. The word can be translated astounded, astonished, marveled, even shocked. Uh, not only that they were deserting the gospel, but that they were deserting Jesus. When you desert the gospel, you desert Jesus. He said, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to a different gospel. And so quickly, too. So this suggests that the, these uh, false teachers came in right after Paul left uh, and, and caused them to start to question uh, what Paul had taught them. So these Christians in, in the Galatian churches may not have realized the danger, since they're relatively new believers, right, the danger of mixing law and grace. They may not have realized it. Uh, and so it's like adding one drop of arsenic to a glass of water, right? The whole glass is contaminated. The whole glass is now poison, and that's what happens when you mix law and grace and put yourself in the shoes of these Galatians. These are new Christians, right? They, they don't have a wide breadth of knowledge. They, they know what Paul taught them, uh, which is not insubstantial, uh, but still they were easily swayed by these new teachers who came in and appeared to have some credentials and credibility as well. And so Paul is explaining that if you listen to these false teachers, uh, they're going to turn you away from the true gospel, and that's going to be disastrous for you. It's going to be disastrous for you going forward. So just, I mean, you can hear the frustration in Paul's voice, right? He's so frustrated because uh, he worked so hard to teach them the true gospel. Uh, and when we read uh, Paul, uh, Luke's account of, of this first missionary journey in Acts, 
we can see that, that God blessed them abundantly, right? Uh, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they had trials to be sure, but you know, they traveled throughout these cities. They, they established churches. They appointed elders. Uh, they even did miracles in Jesus's name, uh, and, and good things were happening. Uh, were all those things in vain? And think about the persecution they suffered. It must have been really bad because, remember, John Mark abandoned them early in the first missionary journey before it really got hard. Uh, they stoned Paul nearly to death in Lystra. So Im immense harsh uh, conditions and, and, and difficulty for them. Uh, Paul's thinking, was it all for nothing, right? Uh, just the frustration is boiling over in him. And I think what it teaches us is, is we really need to emphasize discipleship. Uh, for new believers. But believers need to be taught the gospel, what it is and what it isn't, right? So that people don't add to the gospel and, and, and think that it becomes the gospel of works because they might get sidetracked. And, and Satan will use any tool in his arsenal to sidetrack you know, a, a mature believer or a new believer. And with new believers, you know, very often it can be doctrinal uh, confusion that, that causes a whole lot of problems. And that, that's what was happening in this Galatian church. So it's very important that we lead people to Christ, right? I mean, Jesus said, go and make disciples. He can't get any more clear than that. That's what he wants us to do. But he didn't just say, go make converts. He said, make disciples. And a disciple is somebody who is learning, somebody who is growing in Christ. So when we make a convert, we can't just leave them there. It's necessary that they have discipleship. And if we can't do the discipleship ourselves, then we have to turn them over. We have to connect them with someone else who can. So the first thing we do is, you know, refer them to the local church. Be sure that they go to a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church, uh, and they will begin to grow in discipleship that way. And that way they won't be distracted by another gospel, which, as Paul said, is not really another gospel at all. It's not the gospel. Uh, as I say every Sunday, more than once, the gospel is, I could ask you to recite it with me, Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, right? We all know that. Uh, we are saved when we believe that by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. He's going to raise us uh, to eternity in heaven with him as well. But if we add anything to that gospel, like performance of rules and rituals, or anything that the legalist might add to the gospel in our day, uh, as Paul said to these false teachers uh, in, the, in uh, Galatians, you're distorting the gospel. And if we add anything to the gospel, think about what we're really saying. What we're saying is, Jesus, you didn't do enough. You didn't do it all. Uh, we have to contribute too, right? Uh, Jesus didn't say, I'll pay 90%, you pay the other 10, right? When Jesus hung there on the cross with his arms stretched wide, the last, one of the last things he said was, it is finished, right? It's finished. Everything that was necessary to accomplish our salvation is done in Jesus Christ. And that's why we don't add anything to the gospel Anything else becomes a gospel of works where we're trying to earn our salvation rather than understanding that our salvation is a gift from God. It's by faith you have been saved and not by works as Ephesians, as Ephesians tells us. And the gospel they were preaching is faith plus works, which is not the gospel. It's in fact the opposite of the gospel. So that's the false gospel they're preaching in verse six. What about the false teachers themselves? That's verse seven. Uh, so these teachers, they may have called themselves Christians, but they continued to mix 
uh, law and grace. And so by doing that, you actually dilute the gospel. You don't add anything to it. And so they're perverting the gospel. And most of these Galatian believers uh, had come out of paganism, not Judaism, right? Because most of them were Gentiles. And so they're baby Christians trying to learn how to live out uh, this Christian life, uh, which is an entirely different life than the life that they had been formerly living. And for the, for the ones that came out of paganism, they had no experience with the Jewish law. They didn't know anything about it. And so the, the uh, false teachers teaching would have left them very confused. They remembered what Paul had said, but now these guys come in and, you know, they're probably wearing fancy robes and, you know, they, they, they looked pretty good, they sounded pretty good, and so they confused these Gentile uh, Galatians uh, and teaching something else. And you can tell from Paul's letter that the Galatians were starting to fall under the persuasion of these false teachers. So an important principle that we can learn from this is that any time uh, the gospel is distorted, especially in church, it creates confusion within the church. It can cre creates confusion within the body because people aren't sure what to believe. And when you're not sure what to believe, you're not sure how to behave, right? So first thing you have to have is proper belief, and then proper behavior will follow proper belief. So that's one thing we learn. And another thing we learn is that, sadly, false teaching often comes from inside the church, not outside the church, right? These, these false teachers uh, were allegedly Christians, right? This is what they called themselves. They said that they were Christians. They were insiders, not outsiders, and they were still perverting the gospel message. And that's why it's so important for us to know the Bible, uh, to know what it says, know the gospel. This has to be our authority, our bedrock of truth. So that when we hear false teaching, and there's plenty of it out there these days, right, we're able to say, no, that, that's not right. This is the gospel, and what you're saying is not the gospel, that's something else. So we'll hear this false teaching, and we'll recognize it. And Paul wanted them to understand not only that there are false teachers, but there are false teachings. So that's verses 7 and 8. And then Paul has a very uh, harsh rebuke for these false teachers, right? They're to be accursed is what he says. Paul declared anathema on anyone who preached a false gospel, including himself, including the brethren, including even an angel of God. If he were to come and preach a false gospel, he is to be accursed. Well, what we see is that what is important is not the messenger, but the message, right? We have to get the message right. You know, it doesn't matter who's standing up here. I happen to be standing up here now. But whoever stands up here and preaches the gospel is doing a service to God. But you have to be careful who you listen to. We all have to be careful who we listen to because it's not the messenger, but the message that's important. And if a teacher changes the gospel message, Paul says that teacher is to be accursed. The word is anathema, which means being under the judgment of God. Now think about the false gospel teachers that we have had over the centuries, right? Uh, you have Muhammad in Islam. You have Joseph Smith with Mormonism. You have Charles Taze Russell and Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, you got the cult leaders, you know. Uh, you have uh, Jim Jones. You have David Koresh. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I could stand up here and talk about present-day pastors who are preaching a false gospel of universalism or prosperity or uh, any number of different things. Like, like God only cares that we be happy, healthy, and wealthy, but, but doesn't care about us being holy. Uh, that's going on all around the country today. Uh, and people, uh, some pastors, just never mention the problem of sin, that you and I are sinners desperately in need of a Savior, and the problem that, are the, that has its solution in Jesus so these false teachers are going to have to answer to God for their teaching someday. 
And so uh, Paul pronounces the, 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 the strongest of uh, curses on them, anathema uh, on those false teachers. And then Paul's motives. Uh, Paul, verse 10 now, Paul railed against these false teachers because they were leading their followers straight to hell. Now, these false teachers were accusing Paul of trying to make people like him, of people-pleasing, uh, seeking the favor of men. So Paul says, uh, am I now trying to seek the favor of men or am I trying to seek God's favor? Uh, am I striving to please men? If I were, uh, I, would I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So uh, just trying to infer, trying to read between the lines of what these people were saying about Paul, it seems that they were attacking Paul personally, his message, his ministry, and his motivation. And so they're accusing Paul of seeking the favor of men uh, with his gospel of grace. Now, how does the gospel of grace seek the favor of men? Why would they say such a thing about Paul? Well, they probably accused Paul of, of trying to make people like him by not insisting on it being so hard, right? So if you don't have to keep the law, well, that makes your life a whole lot easier, right? And if you're preaching that the gospel is just, Jesus saves, uh, and you don't have to keep the law, well, these Jewish false teachers thought uh, that he was trying to flatter them by making their lives easier to increase his popularity by telling them they didn't have to keep the law anymore. Well, Paul's two rhetorical questions and the tone of the entire introduction to the letter proves that he's not interested in the approval of men or to flatter any man. His only motivation is to glorify God. So in these first 10 verses, Paul emphasized his authority as an apostle and the leader of the church. He rebuked these Galatians for uh, quickly deserting the gospel which he had taught them, and he reminded them of the true gospel and redemption through Jesus Christ. And not only that, he fired a strong message at his opponents' teaching and the curse that would befall uh, them. So Paul used the strongest language possible because this was an emergency. The glory of God was at stake. Uh, the, the souls of the Galatians were at stake. And so this is why Paul talked to them like he did. So we'll have a lot more to say about uh, Paul's tone and, and the gospel that he taught uh, throughout the book, but let's close with some applications now. And the first one is this, that the content of our message is paramount. As I said, uh, the message authenticates the messenger, not the other way around. If we preach a gospel of grace and not works, that God, the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, that we are sinners who can do nothing to earn our salvation, uh, and that salvation is a free gift of God, then we're preaching the true gospel. Uh, but anytime we start adding works or anything else to the gospel, we've subtracted from it. We've diluted it. When we ignore the vulgarity of our sin or the necessity of the Savior who paid for it, well, then we've lost our way. Now we've compromised the gospel. Now we're people-pleasing. Uh, and we've gone, begun to preach a false gospel. Paul never watered down the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Paul knew that his authority came from Jesus Christ, but only to deliver Jesus's message. Uh, when we deviate from Jesus's message, we're no longer preaching with his authority anymore. Now we're preaching from our own authority. So the content of the message is paramount. Next, be prepared to expose false teaching. Paul showed how we can identify false teaching. Uh, we can identify them by the gospel they preached. Paul preached grace. They preached bondage to the law and to works. 
He also said we, we can identify false teachers by their motives. Uh, Paul was only motivated by trying to glorify God. These false teachers tried to exalt themselves by tearing Paul down, tearing Paul's authority down, trying to preach their own gospel. So when we uh, encounter false teaching, we have to be prepared to call a spade a spade, right? We call it what it is. Uh, and there's plenty of it out there these days. And without us being willing to do that, uh, people are going to be led astray. Who's going to teach the people if we, the church, don't? Third, expect opposition. You know, people are naturally resistant to the gospel. Have you come across that in your own lives, that people are naturally resistant to the gospel, right? Why? It's offensive because it convicts us of our own sin. We have to tell people, you are a sinner. Uh, you can't go to heaven. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Uh, we have nothing you can do to rescue yourself. You are in this human predicament. You need a savior. And then you get no credit for your salvation at all. Like nobody likes that message. It's an offensive message. People want to believe that they're in control of their lives, that, that you know, they, if they want to go to heaven, they can get there by doing good deeds. You know, they weigh their good deeds against their bad deeds, thinking that you know, there's this cosmic scale somewhere uh, where, they get to, where they get to be the ones who, who weigh out their good deeds versus their bad. They want to earn their way into heaven so they can take credit for it. Uh, but the gospel is exactly the opposite. The gospel is not due, it's done, right? It's not due, it's done. The work has already been done. It gives all glory to God who rescued us from an utterly helpless situation. And so if we preach an offensive message, don't be surprised when people react the way uh, they reacted to Paul. And so we may face severe, severe persecution. And then the last thing is just this, aim to please God. Remember, we've received our commission from Jesus, just as Paul did. Uh, Jesus told the apostles, go, go, make disciples of all nations. And so our, our commission is from the same source as Paul's, right? Jesus says the same thing to us. And people may say all kinds of nasty things about us. Uh, but like Paul, we're not to be people pleasers. Uh, to honor God for all he's done for us, we preach this offensive gospel and we share our faith with others for the glory of God so that others might be saved. So Paul is a, a true apostle with a true message written to new but you know, wavering believers. And he wrote these strong words to present a disaster just like we would do in our own homes if we saw our kids getting too close to the stove. He loved these people. He needed to correct their false teaching, the false teaching and their misunderstanding. There are plenty of false teachers and false preachers in the world, but there's only one gospel. The Galatians and we need to know it. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, this gospel message is amazing, uh, and it's amazing because uh, it just required nothing of us except faith and required everything uh, from you and from Jesus Christ who died so that we could have this salvation. Lord, I just pray as we go through this book, we are reminded afresh of what the gospel is and what it isn't. And Lord, uh, in this world that uh, seeks anything but you in many cases, Lord, that we would just uh, solidify uh, this gospel teaching in our minds and that we would have the courage, like Paul did, uh, to speak it despite any persecution or opposition that we might face, Lord, uh, for the salvation of souls and for the glory of you, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.